everyone. Welcome to Phase One, a podcast brought to you by the Emerging Professionals Committee at IPS Integrated Project Services, LLC. We're your hosts, Malazam Khan and Ashley Martins. And we're back with our fourth episode. We want to thank everyone for all the positive feedback received for our previous episodes. We're happy to share the word about the cool projects IPS is doing and to highlight our talented professionals. Our goal here at Phase One is to give you insights into the life sciences industry, whether it be career advice, current events happening in the industry, or speculating on what the future holds. In today's episode, we are interviewing Dave Goswami, the Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of IPS. Since taking the position of IPS's CEO in 2007, Dave has been the catalyst for growth and success for the company by building IPS brand as the knowledge leader in the life sciences industry. He has more than tripled the size of our company. One of his most impressive accomplishments is winning the EY Entrepreneur of the Year, Greater Philadelphia, in the category of real estate, hospitality, and construction in 2018, as he was acknowledged for his ingenuity, innovation, by transforming the industry and making a positive impact. Dave's primary role is to develop and implement the right strategy for the company and the leadership to promote continuous growth. He continues to advance his vision and pave the way for future success. Now let's meet Dave. Thank you so much for coming on today's episode of Phase One. We are happy to have you. I am pleased to be here. So where did you grow up, Dave? I grew up in India. Uh, it's a place called uh, Banaras. Okay. Went to uh, Institute of Technology, studied engineering there, and then came here. What engineering major did you study? I did mechanical engineering. When you chose your major and area of concentration, did you know that you wanted to pursue a career involving life sciences? Like, where did you start out and how did that come to be? Well, interestingly, at that time, I really had no knowledge of life science industry. It was more of an aptitude in engineering and mechanical side. That's what prompted me to select mechanical engineering. As a matter of fact, my career start was in power sector, not at all close to uh, life science. So what is your history with the company prior to becoming CEO? So I joined in 1996 as VP of engineering. Back then, we had only 35 engineers that I was leading. The total company size was 65 people. Uh, Far cry from where we are today, where we have uh, close to 1,500 people. Between 96 and 2007, when I actually became the CEO, I was part of the top management team. And my main goal, though, was to advance the engineering side of our uh, of our company. So what's it like watching the company grow from such a small size to the industry powerhouse that we are today? It is quite exhilarating, interesting, powerful. I can't describe the feeling um, because when, um, you know, we always had aspirations, but really did not know that we'd be growing to be number two in the world. It was uh, interesting days those days, but really took a lot of effort from a lot of people. And uh, and here we are. Did you always want to become a CEO? Did you ever envision yourself as in that leadership role? Well, when I was uh, first started my project, uh, no, I did not think of uh, being a CEO at that point. Actually, I was a highly technical person, and I was kind of in awe with the speed of decisions that managers used had to make. And I always thought that I would be uh, slow in making decisions because I was very analytic. 
So my goal really was at that time to be a senior manager. Now, once I was in at IPS and I was in a senior position, uh, at that point, I did have aspirations that one day to become the CEO. I think that it's uh, very interesting when you look at the Fortune 50 companies that a third of their leadership, their CEOs are engineers. That's not something I think that many people would expect. But when you think about the kind of skills that are required to be an engineer, detail orientation, communication, vision, all these things, I think those translate well into a CEO function. So you see a lot of CEOs who are engineers before they're CEOs. That is true. Um, engineering background gives you a um, very analytical background to actually make the right call. But the key to actually success as CEO and, and actually in any senior management position is that there's so many decisions that you have to make in a very short time that you really don't have time to go through every options. And, and it's the speed at which you go through this process of analysis really makes you a, a, a successful CEO because people are really waiting for you to make calls. The last thing you want is not to make a call. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to make a wrong call. So it, it, so I agree coming from the engineering side gives you a, a leg up. That's interesting and good to know. Yeah, that is really interesting. You can't be wishy-washy or anything. You have to be like pretty decisive. And the decisions are not similar. They are very odd. Sometimes comes from a place where you're not even thinking about, like the COVID. And but people are waiting for your decision, so it, it's very important that you make the right call. What is the most challenging aspect of being a CEO? As CEO, you oversee everything in the company and actually is accountable for all aspects of the company. There are numerous challenges, but the most important in my mind is that you strategize, you make a decision, and and then you have to make sure your whole leadership team understands that vision, that direction, and you need to make sure they all march toward that single direction. One of the challenges you face in a larger company like us is that we have many strong-willed type A personalities and they have their own mind. They can make their own decisions. But what you want is that they do have their own mind. They do make decisions, but they all march towards the same direction. I can definitely understand that. If you have an engineer who has both the people skills and the technical skills, and you put that person in the role of a leadership position, I think that person can be very effective. That's true. People skill is extremely important as well, uh, especially what we do. The service industry is all about people. And if you don't have the people skill, you're not going to succeed. I feel like that also comes too with like cultivating a good culture within the company too. Oh, yes, absolutely. For a client, they look for a company who uh, is customer focused and uh, will make sure that our clients succeed. And the service company must know something, must be superior in terms of knowledge and expertise. That's about, you know, people and the knowledge. But the other part of it is the culture, culture of the company, the style, the, the actually how you get there is important. And that's the success story that we have. And, and the, the passion part of our knowledge, skill, and passion is a, a bit of culture. It's how we show energy, how we behave in front of our client. 
For those familiar with IPS, they know that knowledge, skill, and passion is our motto. You were instrumental in development of this motto. What does knowledge, skill, and passion mean to you? Knowledge, skill, and passion is actually, it has a special meaning to me. It is the reason, in my mind, that where we are today, we have grown. That's the base. We made this uh, front and center for us uh, back in 2007 uh, when I became the CEO. And we wanted to be the knowledge leader in the life science sector. So it's synonymous with the expertise and the SMEs that we that we have and has really taken us, elevated us to uh, this position of today. The word passion actually added to that is because we truly are very passionate about what we do. This is a culture, this is a this is a trait that we exhibit. So we recently created the hashtag, hashtag IMIPS. What does that hashtag mean to you? One of the things that I have been trying to implement in IPS is a sense of pride. But I always add the word humility to that. I don't want people to be arrogant, but I want people to be proud of, you know, what we have achieved together. So this, when I heard that I am IPS, that's what came to my mind, that someone is really proud to say that I am IPS to the world saying I am IPS. Dave, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. So to date, what is the most memorable project that you've been a part of and why? Well, uh, thinking back, the project that shaped my thinking and, and in some way how I have acted in the future came from a, a very large project when I was not at IPS, but before that. It was an extremely large project, Kodak, of all people. They wanted to get into pharmaceuticals, and they were spending $350 million on this project. I became the head of engineering for that particular project. It was very large. There were several project managers, but for whatever reason, I was the overall engineering manager for that project. And that project made me understand and helped me become a decision maker as well as leader. I had about 110 people working for me. Uh, It was extremely difficult in terms of going to the site and the people were waiting for me to give direction. So I'd come back at very late at night. It took about two years of my life. And then after all these things and the project was going well, Kodak decided that they wouldn't stay in the pharma business and they sold it to another company. And all these, you know, effort and time spent, it was disappointing, but taught me a lot of lessons. And, and to this day, I remember actually fondly how it shaped my life. So can you share with us some of the lessons that that experience taught you? One major one was that hard work is needed to succeed. There is no shortcut there. People need a trusting person to follow. In that particular project, it was a combination of people management and technical, which I excelled because I was coming from technical side, but it taught me how to manage. All right. So, so Dave, why is what you do important to you? In our case at IPS, it is really a privilege that we are in the life science industry doing business that actually impacts people's lives. And 
you're asking me today, we always had this feeling, but today with the COVID and the way we are reacting and making impacts in the industry through making up the vaccines and making facilities to produce them, storing them, distributing them, direct impact that we are making. I mean, it just gives a different meaning to the purpose of who we are and what we do. And as the CEO of the company, I couldn't be more thrilled to be in this position, to be able to actually make a difference. I think that it is very meaningful to know that what you are doing is helping make products that either dramatically improve quality of life or can save people's lives. When I was working in the CMO world, one of the slogans that we had was every vial has a name. And I think it's really important to think about it that way, that every vial or vaccine that comes off of this manufacturing line is going to a real human being. It might go to somebody you know, it might go to you. So it's it really changes how you view what we do. And sometimes it can drag on and be needlessly complicated, it feels like, but ultimately the end goal and the end product is something that is it's worth all the effort. Absolutely. Actually, when we were developing our new website, it dawned on us that we, on the management side, kind of get to know what we are doing, know the products and, and understand what it's doing to the society. But the people that are coming every day and, and sitting in front of a CAD machine or going to the site doing work, they may not understand and realize the purpose and, and the, the, what they are doing is so meaningful. So we made it a point that we will be actually creating some sort of a buzz to make sure everybody understands that they are directly impacting lifestyles of the people and lives, saving lives. I think that the more that CEOs and leaders can pass that message on to the employees, I think the more meaningful and purposeful the work becomes and the higher the morale and the productivity becomes as well. So Dave, what was the most important, useful, or memorable piece of career advice that you've ever received? Along the way, you get in touch with many top-level executives and got to know them, got to hear them, and got to learn from them. One particular advice that is still in my head, I try to remember at every step I take, is uh, one from late Cliff Lavin, who just recently passed away. He was a board member. We used to go out for breakfast uh, once a week. And one thing he, I remember he mentioned is that what do you do as a CEO? What one does? Every employee is watching you. If you are in a foul mood and eagles lost and you are not feeling good, <laughs> uh, it will be observed by other folks and that will not be good. On the other hand, you cannot have a mood swing, good or bad, because that affects the psyche of your staff. So I always Keep myself in check, always in even keel. I'm naturally that way. It's not a far stretch for me, but I'm very cognizant about how people see me because it's important. One quote that I heard on leadership that has stuck with me is that you can get away with a second-rate intellect, but you need a first-rate temperament meaning that it's more important that you are able to keep your temperament where it needs to be than it is necessarily to always be the smartest person in the room. 
Yeah, yeah. You have to have certain intellectuals for sure, but it's important that you have smart people around you. It's important that you recognize the talents and the skills of your leadership team and, and whoever is helping you. So Dave, what advice do you have for others who aspire to be a member of the C-suite at a company? You need to listen and you need to lead and then you need to have the capacity to implement. Where a lot of CEOs fail is to have a lot of ideas, but not the temperament to implement those ideas. That's the key to my success. It's good to have ideas. I have ideas, but I'm, you know, I'm not jumping from one to another until that is implemented. Dave, where do you get your industry news from? How do you stay up to date? Yeah, so you know, you know, the one good thing is we are in one particular industry very focused. So that helps. And so my news information comes from many sources. Uh, a lot of it is reading newspapers and and not glued but getting some information of TV, talking with clients and of course through peers. We have lots of industry friends that I speak with at all times. So you get to know what's going on. But key to all this is not just the information, but how you take the information and make it relevant to what you do. And that is not easy because there's so much data out there. But what is important to IPS, and not just now, but also in future, like Brexit is happening, what will happen with Brexit? You have thousands of information on Brexit itself. But what is relevant to IPS? What it is going to do in, to IPS in the future? Not now, maybe in the future. It's not easy, as I said, and, and that's what I do. That, that's an important part of my work. When COVID-19 hit pandemic status, what was the biggest concern for you and for the company? When it first hit and it became a pandemic, issues were that we didn't know a lot of things and we're learning constantly. We can manage and make decisions if we know whether it's good, bad, adverse situation, we can make business decisions. Problem comes when you do not know what what it is and what it's going to do. This uncertainty, because you just don't know how to make a call. That was my main concern. And what that meant was that you have to be on your toes making calls every day because you just don't know the next day could be a different thing. The next day information could just contradict what you knew the day before. So you, what decision you made the day before is no longer valid. So that, that was the biggest concern I had. I think that's a really good point. And I think also that I'm sure your training and experience in engineering came in useful there because I've heard a client describe a lot of what we do as kind of risk management. In, in engineering in this industry in particular, where we're looking at a bunch of different competing interests and we're trying to balance them all and make the best decision with the information that we have. And I think that's something that engineers become used to doing very quickly. Yeah, we are problem solvers, right? But I think it's fair to say, I'm going to guess that many of the listeners of this podcast are not engineers. So I just want to make sure that personally I'm an engineer. So, but that doesn't mean that people coming from another background cannot become a good CEO or will not be, uh, their backgrounds will not be helpful. 
Uh, it just comes in different ways. Your point about uh, being engineering, the uh, engineer helping in this case probably did for me. As I said, uh, we are problem solvers, so you analyze and and try to figure out what needs to be done to counteract, and um, you do. But as I said, the biggest issue was to identify the problem itself, and the problem was always changing. And here one day you can go to the site, the next day you cannot go to the site. The client said, I want you to recite then because client didn't have the data. So these all these things are constantly evolving, were constantly evolving. So that was the most difficult part. Can you take us through some of the immediate actions IPS took during the early days of the pandemic where we were transitioning from being either all on site or in the office to a working from home situation? Sure. Thinking back, we we did many, many things. And uh, the first thing we had to do, and I'm talking about the management, is to understand what it is and what it is not. And the leadership team initially started to talk about what it is and what we need to do. We realized the enormity of this data. And so we created a COVID committee that had people from risk committee, people from different divisions and some of the executive team. And the whole idea was to get a handle on this data and then help the executive committee or myself make the calls. So they were constantly getting data, analyzing it, making sure I get the gist of it. Then we started to make decisions on travels because a lot of people were at site. And there were some people, I remember in the state of Washington, we had a large construction project going on. And that was the first state got hit um, in the Seattle area. Right. So we're trying to figure out what to do with them. Should they come back? Should they stay there? And then there were a lot of validation people at uh, client side, client premises. And so those decisions were being made on a continuous basis. Then we made a quick decision, swift decision on work from home. And that was also not as easy as it sounds because we're not sure if the IT was going to hold uh, IT infrastructure because everybody now is going to work from home. The Revit, the BIM, they were, you know, needed a lot more data transmission. So what we did was we split it. We split it in three and made the first group go to go to home and see how it works. And then the second group and third group. So those things we did. Then obviously a lot of people are aware that we had, we made a decision on retaining all our employees. So that was a decision made in conjunction with our uh, Allegheny folks. We had a board meeting at that time. They were very supportive and we felt really, really good that we could do that. Then the other part of those days was constant communication because it was new to us. Uh, people were working from home. You couldn't see them. Hopefully they were doing well. I couldn't see them. So there were groups of people seeing each other, but you couldn't figure out how, as a company, we were doing. So we started to do a lot of communication with our staff. I got a lot of email back, and that made me understand where the people were, how the psyche was. And then, of course, we kept Allegheny informed at all times. Looking back, those were some of the key elements of our decision tree. Dave, I understand your wife is a physician. What goes through your mind knowing that she is on the front line? Well, uh, yeah, it is It is a concern. Um, you know, I'm home and she's out there. And uh, my main concern is that she is she's very focused on patients. And, um, and I know when she's with the patient, I'm afraid she'll forget to follow all the safety protocols and put herself in danger. 
it's one of those where I'm really proud that she's on the front line giving her all, and it gives me pride, but at the same time, I'm worried, frankly. Yeah, it's nerve-wracking. My sister's a nurse, and yesterday she received a COVID vaccine. That makes me feel really good because, you know, working at a company that has had a hand in that, that's so cool to be in a company that does that and actually has a direct impact on helping people. It is. It is. I mean, they, both of them, the Pfizer and Moderna, we are heavily, heavily involved. And, and, and it's so nice to see that ultimately it's actually coming out. People are getting vaccinated and hopefully uh, they will be safe and, and the overall society will be safe. What does the future of IPS look like in your eyes? I don't know if anything's like changed because of COVID. What are you thinking? Well, I am extremely positive about IPS future. Well, that's one of my jobs, really. And I probably have the best angle to see where we are today. And just, you know, looking back and obviously we have grown for the last, you know, 12, 13, 14 years. But just looking back three years ago and where we are today and how our brand is taking over. This COVID actually gave you a better picture where we stand. All these vaccines that we're involved with, it just didn't happen by accident, right? We get calls. We're not selling. These are all people calling us. You can see the the brand recognition everywhere in the world. And we have purposely located our offices where we can see uh, future growth. And we are also spending a lot of time to grab more market share. Looking beyond COVID, what are the activities that we see in the future uh, like the new technologies with mRNA, uh, with cell and gene, with ADC. These are all these technologies that will be uh, coming to fruition in the next few years. And we are in the driver's seat. And where we have gaps, uh, what we are doing is filling those gaps with subject matter experts, putting our names out there, getting trying to get projects, talking with clients. And, and that's how we're positioning ourselves for future. So I see really an extremely bright future. With all these COVID things that are creating hurdles, we still grew this year and as compared to 2019. And this is our 14th straight year of sustained growth. Very proud of that. We have a huge backlog moving into 2021. But I'm looking beyond 2021 and positioning ourselves for the future. It looks extremely bright where I stand. That's incredible. So Dave, what areas of the life science industry do you see growing the fastest right now? And how will IPS be involved with those specific areas? So life science industry actually includes you know, medical devices, uh, hospitals, everything included. We focus on uh, pharmaceuticals and biotechnology and medical devices side. It is obvious that biotechnology is where the growth is. Uh, that's where all the new drugs are being developed. Now, within biotechnology, there are subsectors and, and some variations, and that's what we were looking into. Obviously, cell and gene therapy, uh, mRNA now with these new vaccines obviously will be in the uh, front and center of a lot of these technology development. ADC is another one where, um, again, for cancer therapy is something a lot of companies are moving into. So we are watching and I can assure you there will be new technologies coming up in the next future. So what IPS is doing is trying to understand where most of these technologies are leading to 
where IPS can really play a major role and how we can play a major role. That's great to hear. It looks like we'll be involved very heavily with the future of the industry. You know, IPS is built around knowledge skill and knowledge means uh, subject matter experts. So we focus on the technology side a lot more than our competition. It's not a uh, mystery that we'll be really focusing on these newer technologies where we will shine with our subject matter experts. So switching gears here, what is IPS leadership doing to further diversity and inclusion at the company and in the life sciences industry in a broader sense? We are doing a lot of things in that arena, and we have formed a focus group. We have hired an external consultant to help us through this process of our goals. But I want to share what ultimately we want to do, and it's an ambitious plan. Uh, What we really want to do or achieve is to be a model of diversity and inclusion uh, in our uh, in the professional service area. It's interesting when you talk with your peers and other companies what they're doing, and there are so many things you can do, like charities and many, many other things and hiring. But to me, it's not about statistics. It's about actually making a meaningful dent in that arena. And when I look at what we really need, for example, when I was looking at, I was talking with another large company, what that executive was saying that they were thinking of hiring a African-American to be part of the leadership team in the, in the engineering side. And my point to him was, I don't see that as something that is valuable in the overall scheme of things. Because what are you going to do? You are going to hire somebody from another company in that role. And, and you feel good that you added a person. But in a nutshell, that game is zero. The, you just hired from another company who lost a guy and you added to your group. So did it help the society? No. For statistics, you added a, a heavy-duty person, but that didn't help the society. So to me, we should look at holistically what really makes a difference. So I, I reached out to some of our people I know in the uh, diversity area, and I spoke with them trying to understand what will be meaningful. And one of the things I believe will be helpful is we go to the core and develop kids from the, let's say, Black community or you know from another poverty-stricken area and made them professional engineers or whoever they want to be. And that's a net ad because they are not thinking, they're not talking, and they don't see that as a, as a possibility. And so how can we do that? So I'm working with them to see how IPS can be a big part of uh, that evolution from ground level start from there to this. And even if we can help three people, I think that's the next three edition than plucking somebody from another person and, and adding to mine and saying, statistically, I added a person. The, the other part of it is mentoring and developing people internally and moving them up. And that's a net add because you actually move them from a uh, lower position, moving them up. And, and, you know, when you look back, we always have taught, but we never really focused. And, and so we never really did that well in my mind. And now we will be focusing and we'll be doing something. Dave, I was going to say that I think that the position that you're articulating is one that is key to bringing long-term diversity into the industry in a sustainable way, which is developing talent 
at the ground level, fostering it, and then seeing the results of that come through the pipeline to where one company doesn't have to fight over a limited number of minority applicants, particularly in high-level positions, where there's an abundance now, in which case you have society has worked through public and private partnership to foster development of talent of, of what we would say many underserved or marginalized communities so that many of these youth who come from disadvantaged backgrounds feel that there is a place for them in science and technology and other fields and that they do get the mentorship and the tools and the guidance that they need so they feel empowered and they stick with these programs and they can then become part of the next generation of engineers, architects, scientists, whatever is needed. And I think that is the most sustainable and long-term way to address the issues of lack of diversity that often exist in STEM fields in particular. Absolutely. And, and uh, when we, uh, we know for sure, and when you ask any other companies or peer companies, they will tell you that we want to hire, uh, you know, these diversity uh, group, but we just can't find them. And that's actually true. And the reason is that there's not enough talent being developed. And I'm so glad to hear that some of our employees actually have volunteered. They are actually going to go and talk and we are going to bring these people to our office and they're going to say that, yes, there is a place there that you should be thinking about another option. And that option is right now, it's not there. So we need to open their eyes at least. And then at least there is a chance that they will try. And then we have to give them that path that there is, there is a path. And, and we can do a lot of things in that arena. I actually, uh, not only in the U.S., I have talked with our employee, um, you know, Don Chapman in UK. And, and she also kind of explained that her childhood, she became an engineer because she saw a person of that caliber. She was a scientist and she influenced her. And so she wants to go to these colleges or, or schools, not colleges, and tell them how she became an engineer and the story and basically telling them there is another option. So Dave, if there is someone listening to this podcast who isn't an employee or a client, why do you think they should join our company or work with us? Well, good question. So when, when someone wants to work somewhere, right? They have choices and they typically would like to, you know, besides earning decent money, the, the place they want to work is a place where they feel belonging, an inclusive place, a place where they can further their trait, their, the, whatever they, they do, they can increase their knowledge, uh, their, they can develop their career. And along the way, they can do some interesting work. The other big part that IPS provides is the purpose. As we were talking earlier, that what we do in the life science sector, saving lives in the case of COVID, you know, directly helping Pfizer's and Moderna's and Astra's to make these vaccines that really helping everybody in the world. So the purpose of actually doing something working somewhere, there's nothing better than that. I think that's an excellent answer. And I think that all of us here feel that sense of purpose and passion in the work that we do for IPS. That's good to hear. I know I do. 
Is there anything about you that surprises people when you tell them? Uh huh. <laughs> there is there is something that I do believe people don't know about me is how passionate I am about sports. Oh yeah. And uh, this is going back. My my dad was a big sports person. I I, I used to read newspaper only the sports sports section of the newspaper, and and. Uh, I was a sponge of statistics and everything about sports. Uh, so uh, I think, uh, in fact, I got into a debate team uh, in the college because of my knowledge of sports, all these statistics, all the things that I knew. So, uh, and I still to this day, obviously, uh, it's very difficult nowadays to watch all the, you know, the, the, the football games and the basketball games. Uh, but um, I am still a huge fan of all sorts of sports, all sorts of sports. And I'm, I enjoy as much. Um, and my son is into sports, mine. And I am hoping my grandson and granddaughters will be in sports, sports as well. <laughs> you got to start getting the statistics pages of the sports column in front of them early on. <laughs> so what are you most proud of as CEO of IPS? Well, you know, when, when you have grown tenfold and, uh, you get a lot of accolades and the brand is out there. Everybody knows you do get a sense of pride, right? So I feel good. I feel proud of a lot of the achievements that we together have achieved. But I think my main pride is how this togetherness that this, this company exhibits. When I see people responding to something that has happened to IPS or we are going about doing something and the amount of energy I feel I see in the community, in the IPS, I, I think when you have a company full of people who, uh, like-minded people who understand who IPS is about, and obviously there is a business part, there is this knowledge, skill, and passion part, but that aside, Having this this value system where everybody's energized to push this machine to another goal and, and cross the goal line, that's what makes me most proud. That's so inspiring. Do you have any more parting words or advice that you'd like to share with all the IPS employees listening right now? Well, I, I, I would say that um, I want to thank everybody. And I sincerely think this way that you know we we can have visions we can have ideas and we can even have a plan to execute but it's the ips employees they actually make it happen and it's a matter of engaging everybody making them aware of where we want to go making them feel that they can make a difference and believe me, without everybody's help, we're going to miss the deadline. We're going to miss a lot of the quality. And so everybody needs to understand that everybody play, plays a big role, not a small role. So I want everybody to understand that they matter a lot in terms of where we want to go. We are not done yet. We have ways to go. And people should feel proud, feel engaged. And if they have any question, please ask. We want to explain where we want to go so that we can go all go together. Thanks again to Dave Swami for sitting down and talking with us. Well, thank you, um, all of you. Uh, and uh, it was interesting. And above all, uh, I want to thank you. Thanks so much, Dave. It was a pleasure having you on Phase One. Thank you. Phase One is brought to you by the Emerging Professionals Committee at IPS. Thanks to our podcast production team, Amy Armstrong, Moazam Khan, Ashley Martins, Mike Mavi, Megan Ryan, and Dan Swanson. For more information about this episode, please visit the Phase One website 
at anchor.fm slash phase one. If you'd like to contact the phase one podcast team, please email phase one podcast at ipsdb.com. For more information about IPS, please visit www.ipsdb.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Phase One and any of the major podcast hosting platforms. Thank you.